sometimes I feel I say I'm a, a mechanical psychologist because people always call with a problem that they want you to fix and they want it fixed now. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. On today's podcast, we're discussing the current manufacturing boom down south. Our guest is Brian Batten, owner of Palmetto Precision Machining, a machine shop in Anderson, South Carolina, focused on producing tooling and automation for the automotive industry. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. We're with Brian Batten of Palmetto Precision Machining in Anderson, South Carolina. Welcome to the podcast, Brian. Thank you. So, first, tell us about Palmetto Precision. What what do you guys focus on? Uh, we're a machine shop slash fabrication shop, primarily focused on the automotive industry as far as tooling for assembly and automation that helps the uh, the fact the factories install parts on the cars and and uh, assemble primarily okay and so you are uh tier two uh we're considered a tier two supplier we also do uh modify parts for the automotive industry like uh interior exterior parts for the amgs and motorsport versions or the higher end versions of the cars oh okay okay primarily for mercedes and bmw okay i'll have to ask you about that in a bit. You started Palmetto, yes? Uh, I actually purchased it as from another guy in 2002. Okay, okay. So so bring us up before that. How did you get into machining? Um, where are you from? Give us the story. Okay, I'm from Anderson or Pendleton, South Carolina. I grew up here just outside of Clemson, South Carolina, which is getting pretty famous now for football, but I graduated from Clemson in 91 in mechanical engineering. I worked for the athletic department while I was in school. Um, And then once I got out, I went to work for Millican and Company. And that was a textile company, which is a large textile company. And textiles was primarily the industry in South South Carolina up until probably around 2000. Uh, So I worked for Millican. I also worked for Mount Vernon Mills as uh, department managers and plant manager. And then I realized that textiles were starting to fade away and the need to look at some other field going forward. So 
at that point, I had a friend in this business that supplied textile parts, and it's called Palmetto Machine Parts. So I started working with them, and with the plans of either buying this shop or uh, creating my other uh, another shop. So the, the opportunity came about a year later. I was able to negotiate with the guy, and I purchased the uh, the business. Now, when you when you began working there, was that already kind of in your mind? Like, oh, I I could. I could see wanting to own my own shop, and this could seem like a good fit. Yeah, uh, I would say one of the backgrounds I have, my grandfather taught machine shop at Tri-County Tech, uh, which is a local college here, community college. So a lot of the guys actually knew my grandfather. And uh, so, you know, I had I had somewhat of a background in this because I was always around him. What was one of the main things you learned from your grandfather that really inspired you to get into this uh, well i didn't realize it till after the time but some of the guys that actually took classes from me said you can't make it right make it shine <laughs> so that was so he taught the guys you know if you if you're gonna make it make it look good you know make it presentable so that's one of the things we always kind of a, a motto around here if you can't make it right make it shine now we like to make it right and we do a very good job of making it right but we always try to make it shine irregardless so uh, that's one thing and he would always make things tremendously heavy i remember as a kid my he made a drain plug for my dad and uh, my dad dropped it into the hole it was in the floor floor plug it weighed about 25 pounds so it's a solid steel drain plug and he dropped it into the pl- drain like what what kind of drain in in the sink it was no it was a floor drain in the floor and it was just going to be a plug just in case you didn't want water or something to get into the drain. So my grandfather made it out of a solid piece of four-inch steel, and it was about three inches thick. And he and my dad dropped it into the hole. We like to never got that thing out of the hole because it was so heavy, and it was just a solid piece of steel <laughs> that he had made the, uh, the plug out of. So uh, I, I remember that. I was probably six or seven years old. remember trying to dig that thing back out of the hole. Okay, so then you bought the business back in 2003? 2002. 2002. And what was that like, buying a business? Uh, initially, it was, very, it was a lot of struggle because I bought, they were letting me kind of, before we get the financing done, they actually would let, I was paying them rent or leasing their building and the equipment until I could get the financing, you know, settled and we could close on the deal. But in the meantime, and I don't know how much issue, but the son of the father did not want to sell the business. Oh, that's always complicated. It was constant battling with the son because one day before we actually agreed to sell, I was in visiting a customer and one of my guys called and said, the son came in and said he's closing the business down. Uh, you know, he don't, we're closing down, just shutting down shop. So I had to come back from my customer and squared away. So there was a lot of tense times with the uh, second, or actually the third generation son uh, trying to get everything wrapped up. I, I do remember that being a stressful time trying to trying to work through family uh, in closing the deal. Right, and then soon after you took over, that was when you got out of the textile business. Uh, I wouldn't say get got out, but we started to transition more and more into the automotive. And really pulling contacts from Milliken, you know, past employment, and and my uh, 
associates and classmates from school uh, allowed me to, you know, branch out into different industries, primarily the automotive uh, as a tier right. one. That was that was what I was going to ask you. How did you? How were you able to get in with those? customers that was from some of your contacts some 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 guys i went to school with some guys from millican uh we were fortunate enough uh bmw was developing a new car called the z4 uh transitioning from the z3 mm-hmm. and uh and also working with magnus steer out of austria they were designing a new coupe which was going to be called the z4 coupe so in a in order to save money on the tooling charges the transition they proposed that the parts be modified so there's no uh, capital expenditure on tooling. So we would modify existing parts to fit into the new car. So we worked with Magnus Steer and BMW Magnus Steyr, uh, which is in Austria, to to see how we could modify the parts so they didn't have to purchase new tooling. BMW didn't have to purchase tooling, and the suppliers Drexelmeyer and Rosling primarily didn't have to buy a new interior uh, tooling for the new coupe car. Okay, interesting. What's it like working with German automotive companies? Uh, do you, I mean, maybe you they're the only ones you've worked with, so you can't really compare them to American or, or Japanese? In my prior experience, uh, I, I was in automotive textiles, so we worked with General Motors and Ford, Toyota, and Nissan so I have experience working with those guys and personally and I don't know uh, I don't want to get anybody in trouble but I also work with the Japanese now uh, I prefer to work with the Japanese that's what I've heard that they're that they're the easiest to work with I wouldn't say the easiest to work with but what is important is a partnership from my experience with four American companies, I won't say names, but with American companies, <laughs> they're there to, to maximize their profit and to drain everything out of the little company, whether it's, you know, chart terms of 90 to 120 days, you know, and just wanting bottom dollar price constantly. Right. And they're, they're thinking less long-term relationship. Exactly. And the Japanese are more long-term where they have a vision of going forward with a partner, and that's the way I see it, uh, creating partnerships rather than suppliers. What about the Germans? I actually have met with several Germans over the years, and one came to me and told me, uh, one of the large buyers from Germany says, we want to partner with you on our tooling. And I told him, I'm not sure I want to partner with you. And uh, he seemed very offended to that (laughs) when I told him that, because the point I was making to him is, they were getting into the habits of the American suppliers where they didn't really want partners. They wanted the bottom dollar price, mm-hmm. and that was it. So I'd given them an example where I, I built a tool, and they wanted me to rebuild it. And I didn't go down on my price because I knew what it took to build it. And someone that wanted to obviously get the business came in $50 less and was awarded the business. So I told him that example. I said, you can't have a partnership when you're always looking for the lowest bottom dollar. And you know, that's kind of the role of the buyers is to go with the lowest dollar. So I said, you can't have a partnership when you always go with the bottom dollar. Number one, you never have a chance to recoup your losses uh, if you you underestimate or underquote a job. 
you can't recoup it because you're always looking for the bottom dollar. I wonder if it was always like that with the Americans. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, as long as I've been doing this for 30 years, it's always been that way. Um, hmm. You know, so, but the Toyotas and the Nissans seem to just have a different philosophy. And the culture is different. As I indicated before, I've been to, been to Tokyo. It's just a different culture altogether. Oh, um, total culture shock. I'm actually going next week. So I was there 10 years ago, and it was sometimes you just, your mouth opens and you're just like, this is bizarre. It's a different world. Uh, I remember walking out. We were, I was on the 38th floor of a hotel downtown Tokyo on the river, walking out this large city in the middle of the city, and it being totally quiet no siren <laughs> it was just totally quiet it just seemed like it was a, just a small town and the the sidewalks were no trash they were you know oh my like god just, no trash no trash no sirens uh it was just different world i said and i actually took a picture so i'm in the middle of a, the largest city in the world and it's like i'm in uh the wilderness you know what i what i didn't like though was that even though there's no trash, there's no trash cans anywhere either. Well, that's true. So, so like, you're just carrying trash on you. <laughs> I, I, I would put it in my pockets, but it's culturally improper to eat in public. Yeah. Uh, so you can't walk around eating uh, on the subway. I would. I totally, people. I totally did that because the pastries are so good there. <laughs> but... And, and my wife did not fit whatsoever. She had sunglasses on, bright clothes. I said, you do realize nobody has ball caps on, no tattoos, no hats, no sunglasses. Everyone's wearing gray uh, or black. And I said, you stick out like a sore th thumb with your bright yellow shirt and your sunglasses on. But she didn't care. <laughs> no, she didn't care. But uh, anyway, so. But yes, back to uh, the issue BMW has changed somewhat if you create a, uh, the relationships. Uh, I'm in, at a point now where with BMW, they have enough faith in me that, you know, I don't really have to be the lowest bidder. I just have to do the job and have to do it right. Nice. Yeah, it sounds like you must have cultivated a long relationship then. Yeah, but it's taken a long time, like, you know, seven or eight years or longer to develop that where they say, hey, just, you know, do this and just as long as we get it get it to make it you know happen I mean, right I, it's kind of two splits but well and the germans are very strong in south carolina right greenville spartanburg correct yes they have that's bmw is mercedes there too uh mercedes has a a van plant in ladson south carolina which and there's a commercial now the uh mercedes commercial vans it's it's on all the sports channels now and he says and we build them right here in south carolina so uh, they're undergoing a huge expansion right now on the commercial fleet van side. The Sprinter van is what it's called. So what do you think of machining in South Carolina? What's the workforce like there? Uh, I think right now there's a, a shortage because there's so much manufacturing in South Carolina. South Carolina, I just pulled it up, is the number two state for business friendly. Georgia was number one. South Carolina was number two. And Texas was number three. Uh, for business friendly we have so much manufacturing and georgia to be honest with you has been kind of sour that they don't have a car plant uh in their state all the other states around them do tennessee and yeah 
Georgia's been trying really hard to get, and we're only 20 minutes from Georgia, but they've been trying really hard to get a uh, get a car our, uh, car plant in their state. Listeners, do you have an idea for a future episode of Swarfcast? Or is your company interested in advertising on the Swarfcast podcast? If so, please send us an email at swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. That's swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. Tell me about the equipment you guys use. Um, I I read on your website that you designed um, a, you built a robotic six-axis milling station. What, what's that all about? We use a Stobbly, uh, Stobbly robot um, because, number one, their headquarters in, their North American headquarters is in Duncan, South Carolina, which is here in South Carolina. But also, they have a very precise robot. Uh, and I'm not familiar, you know, if you're familiar with Stobbly. It's a, uh, it's not used very much in the automotive. It's primarily used in the medical and the uh, electronics. Bosch uses a lot of Stobbly robotics. Uh, but I, the milling robot basically is what I use to modify the plastic parts that we were uh, modifying for BMW and Mercedes and actually Cadillac at the time, too. So it's just a robot with a mill on it. Uh, I, I just have a Hitachi router that we use with a quarter inch uh, single flute or two flute end mill that we, we cut plastic with primarily. And when you are buying equipment, what what are you mainly looking at when you're choosing what brand and what what guys what what guys do you prefer? Uh I, right now I would say I'm leaning more towards as far as C and C the Haas machines because they're so widely used and the the uh, equipment is practical, meaning the filters can be bought at a local hardware store. That you know, a lot of the things can be purchased locally. That that you don't have to go and you know wait for uh, a part to come from overseas. So I was not. I have OKKs and Akumas and Mori's and Dusans, uh, but I'm on the mills. I'm leaning towards the uh, the Hosses, but on the uh, on the lays, I think more of the Dusons because it's kind of a middle-priced uh, piece of equipment. Mm. So, you know, in a job shop, you really can't afford to buy the top end. You know, the Moris and the, you know, the Akumas. But you have to kind of be in the middle of the road uh, from a job shop standpoint. I see. Well, you you said you brought some props with you. What what do you what do you have with you? One of the things that uh, we actually did is. And I don't know, can you see this? Yeah, I can see it. Now, you're going to have to be very descriptive for most of the people that are just listening. Okay, what this is, is a uh, it's an award for a film festival. Charleston, South Carolina, which is always ranked in the top. Love it. Uh, well, they, ha- they were having a film festival, and it was called the Charleston International Film Festival, CIF. And the College of Charleston designed this a clay model of the award that they were going to present for the uh, the different best film, best director, things like that. So what happened is, so that they contacted me and asked, could we make an award from this clay model they had scanned, and could we make an award out of it? Very cool. What did you make it on? We, we CNC machined it and then polished. We vapor polished and polished the acrylic, 
and then the aluminum base it comes apart so and then we engrave their logo across the thing and then we'll we put it together and then we actually engrave whatever uh best actor or things uh on the on the that was the name that you know we would engrave it in there and when they would have it so then they would give them out to the awards and it looked really nice for all the awards it's heavy you know it's a heavy filling award so uh we did this every year we did it for about five years but the thing that always drove me crazy was but since it was a piece of art it what it didn't have symmetry it was actually crooked mm-hmm. so it always drove me crazy but they liked the fact that it was artsy they didn't want something you know mechanically hey you know straight symmetry so it all it kind of tilts slightly to the uh to the left from your point of view so but that always drove me crazy but that was what the artsy type people love about it so we would make just a you know making awards to making boxes i mean that's just the the fun i enjoy doing is just doing a variety of things so that was one of the things we always got to hang out with stars bill paxton was there one year uh tom he was in sniper he was there one year so you know it's just kind of a a change of venue for us to do something like this every year what are the biggest obstacles you're facing going into 2019 i would say staffing uh qualified people to you know do the work that we have have to and need to be done right you told me before that you you had what uh 40 employees 60 employees and then you ramped it down quite a bit at one time we had 40 when we were doing the automotive we were working three shifts seven days a week but that was a lot of production type work where you could just give a guy hey here's the parts you stick them into the holder or the fixture and you run them so we you know that was the work the labor rate wasn't as high, and it was just kind of more of a operator rather than a machinist. Mm-hmm. So when that went away, when the car went, they sent the car back to Germany. That business went away. Then we had to focus more on machining. So that's when we, you know, struggled to get the right people to, you know, do the type of work we're now doing. And you told me, that, and so you have fourteen now. We got about sixteen guys now. Sixteen, but if you, yeah. but, but if you could get good people, you would hire a lot more oh, yeah i said i could double the business <laughs> over, you know uh overnight i mean if we could get the people because there's so much demand for what we do it's just you know constantly getting phone calls uh, so we basically have to pick and choose what we what we can do and what we can we can we can go after yeah well it seems like business is going really well for you uh 2018 really good Yep, we had a good year in 2018, and we already, you know, typically January is slow, but uh, I have a big order for uh, BMWs coming out with a new Z. It's called the the X7, uh, which is going to be the suburban-sized SUV for BMW. We're going to build Right, it. that's unprecedented for uh, a European car company, uh, right? A suburban-sized vehicle? Yes, they, they said they struggled to get the handling... Uh, the handling characteristics of a BMW and uh, such a large vehicle. So uh, that was one of the challenges is, is to get the handling. Would people look at you weird if you drove a BMW? Uh, probably. <laughs> Even though you could say, it's my customer. 
even the German guys I I work with, and I work with the French guys too. They all love driving Ford trucks when they come in. Come in. That's funny. The one guy when he gets a rental, he always gets the Ford truck. They because they don't have them in Europe, so they always drive the trucks. Yeah, I I was friends with a a German machinery dealer, and he was into importing Ford Mustangs. You know, for them that's exotic. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got imported one. I brought one over back over. He would ship his stuff here. You know, he would buy stuff uh, like from California, Texas, and have it shipped here and put it in a suitcase because they have a uh, is it a, a tax of like twenty percent over there. If they tried to ship it in, it's twenty percent tax on the on on parts and everything. So it's cheaper for him to fly over. Stuff it in the suitcases and then sneak it into the country. So uh, he does that every time he comes. What's one of the biggest things you've learned in the last uh, 16 years, this business, owning a business? Owning a business is tough. You know, you want to focus on certain things and you always get distracted. You always have other issues that come up and it's very hard to stay focused on the things that you love to do because of the distractions that's the probably the one thing i've learned about a bit being in business you know it's just the constant distractions that you have to deal with that you don't really realize you have to deal with them when you uh, probably get first first get started interesting yeah i i can imagine the time Time management would be very difficult. Sometimes I feel I say I'm a, a mechanical psychologist because people always call with a problem that they want you to fix and they want it fixed now. So, you know, you almost dread sometimes when the phone rings, somebody's got a problem and they want you to solve it. So, <laughs> uh, I like that. A mechanical psychologist. Mechanical psychologist. How do I fix this? How do I fix that? So I know it's coming when the phone rings. Well, before we wrap this up, do you have anything else you want to say to the people of the world listening to this podcast? Oh, worldwide, huh? Uh, Some of the things I did, and I don't know, cover as far as manufacturing in South Carolina. And I don't know if you've ever heard of ICAR, which is Clemson's International Car uh, Automotive Research. Oh, okay. But Clemson has a facility in Greenville which tries to develop or, or pro, um, support automotive industry. And uh, we were sitting, I, me and, and one of my sales guys was sitting down with them about maybe two months ago. South Carolina has done a phenomenal job promoting industry in South Carolina. But what I told him is they have not done is bring people in to cover all the jobs that we have coming into this state uh and he said and whether it's true or i'm not sure i hadn't verified he said south carolina had the number one capital investment in 2017 or 2018 wow so a lot of money is being poured into this state i was just reading the other day and i can send you some information gt tire has a two million square foot facility that's just built uh there's another chinese has just announced they're going to build a billion dollar investment tire company in orangeburg so South Carolina's got like six tire plants inside that are you know million plus square feet plants. 
and they make over a hundred thousand tires a day just in South Carolina. Wow! So there's so much manufacturing. I said we need to try to get some of these people here to support all the manufacturing that we have. Boeing has a plant. Uh, Probably 15,000 people work at Boeing. And what are they going to do to get the people there? Are they trying to make good incentives? or? Well, I told the guy, the guy from the research, I said, you need to have billboards in West Virginia, you know, the coal mining towns. Hey, come yeah. to South Carolina, you know, if you want a job. So BMW, the guy at BMW told me, he says, BMW cannot grow anymore. I said, what do you mean? He says, we cannot grow anymore in South Carolina because we've exhausted the resources of this state. Uh, he says, you know, we got to get some more people. Because I was like, what do you mean you can't grow anymore? Because, I mean, they're spending billions there. But he says, you know, they just can't get it. They would like to put a, an engine plant here. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, they, they announced they were going to put an engine plant. Right now, they're importing all the engines from Germany. Oh. So there's no engines made in the U.S., so they're importing them. But they would love to put an engine plant, but they just said they can't build it here. Um, they may have to build it, you know, in another state somewhere. But they just don't think they have the, the resources here to build the engine plant. Because the plant's already six and a half million square feet now. But, you know, um, and they would like to put a plant, but they just they don't feel like they can support that. It's so interesting, this juxtaposition of Germany in South Carolina. Like, the two just, you wouldn't... You wouldn't put the two and two together in your head. Well, I mean, it's I deal with Germans primarily and French because the type French Michelin is Michelin's North American headquarters in South Carolina. They have probably six or eight plants in South Carolina. So Michelin Tire has probably just employs just as many people as BMW. Hmm. So Michelin Tire's big. Uh, so French, the Japanese, you know, uh, JTEC Automotive, which is actually one of our largest customers um you know they're large in the toyotas and the and the nissans supporting those guys so we got Jap japanese fuji film is in south carolina so you got fuji japanese uh toyota jtec and then you got all the german manufacturers just i don't know how many are in south carolina but tons of them well i was going to say one other thing yeah, uh, yeah. i'm actually i'm on the advisory board for tri-county tech and engineering graphics and uh, one of the new industries is coming is the healthcare, which is Arthrex. And they wanted, uh, I think they wanted 60 mechatronics guys a year. No, 50. They wanted 50 mechatronics guys a year. And Tri County Tech only graduates like 65 mechatronics guys a year. So, uh, you know, they, they was like, you can't have all the guys. So just, just one company wanted to consume about 80% of their. Wow. But, you know, we have GE uh, turbine, GE engine. BMW, Volvo, so you know they can't get those people. So now they're struggling trying to get enough mechatronics people for the company that hadn't even started up yet. They're supposed to have a thousand people, and uh, you know they're just trying to get the staffing for that. So engineering graphics is a growing field as well. Right. Well, hopefully, there's some good machines for me to go buy in South Carolina I'd, <laughs> or sell. There's maybe there's more maybe there's more Is that demand. Your primary business buying selling machines. Yeah, well, we have two businesses. This we have the media business. Um, we we used to be a, a magazine. Uh, now we're just a an online um, blog. And then we started the podcast this year. This is the 
going to be the 27th or 28th podcast we've done. Do it every week. Okay. So, so is, that, is that really your true calling is uh, media? Maybe. I, I was, <laughs> it's, it's good to be diversified. Hey, hey, I know, man. Well, there's a lot of things. Maybe you should come down or I can give you some ideas. But like I said, there's a lot going on here. Uh, you know, it's just almost too much to even believe a lot of times. I feel so blessed a lot of times that, you know, the opportunities that come my way, you know, I don't have to go out and, hey, let me try to sell something. Now, I had to bust my butt, you know, start with. But there's so much opportunity. And if you, you know, if you have the skill set, man, you know, there's just unbelievable opportunity right now. Okay, Brian, thank you so much. Uh, we'll be in touch very soon. Okay. I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Hey, everybody. First, we just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. It boosts our egos, and of course, your ears are the reason we do this. But it would be great if you could subscribe and leave a review, as it'll help other people discover it. Talk to you soon.